Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Today we start a new journey and a new sermon series as well. It's the launch of the Raise the Sales campaign at First Pres. For more information on what this means for you and our church, you can visit our new website, raisethesales.org. Now here's First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun with today's sermon, Follow Him. So as the curtains fall back on our Bible passage for today, the, the beginning of our Raise the Sales series, we find that Moses has died and Joshua is now to be the leader of the Israelites. And Joshua is not a young man, but he is still scared at this daunting new responsibility. And I imagine at this moment, Joshua's eyes squint and look across the Jordan River at the land of Cana, uh, Canaan, uh, the, the land God promised them, starting way back with Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob. It's the promised land, the land of milk and honey. And about 30 years previously, Joshua, on orders from Moses, snuck into the territory as a spy with 11 others. And he came back and told the people that it's all ready for us. Let's just move in and take over the land. And he and another spy named Caleb had the faith that God would be with them, but the people were scared because they listened to the other 10 spies. The other 10 reported that there were giants in the land and that the Israelites would be like grasshoppers next to them. They also said that the people already living there were stronger than the Israelites and they could never conquer them. And so the people, uh, all the Israelites listened to the 10 and not to Joshua and Caleb. And the Israelites walked away from that opportunity and wandered for 38 years, even though some scholars say they were just three days away from just crossing the river. Amazing, 38 years. So at this moment in our passage, Joshua Joshua is about 68 to 70 years of age. He would live for another 40 years. What a great time to live back then. That's a lot of Medicare. So it's time to cross the River Jordan and go into the land that the Almighty God promised to his people. But even though Joshua had been Moses' aide since his youth, and as an adult, he was Moses' right-hand man who witnessed so many miracles, so many adventures, I imagine Joshua felt weighed down by this responsibility because he's now the leader of the people, and Moses is dead. He's not going to be around to give advice. In fact, he's scared. Now, how do I know that? Because if you're strong in your heart, you don't need someone to say, hey, be strong. And if you're courageous already, you don't need someone to say, hey, be courageous. But if you're scared, well, in the passage we're about to read, three times, three times God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. And by the way, um, be strong and courageous. By the way, be strong and courageous. And then he adds, and don't be afraid or discouraged. So please stand, if you're able, to hear the scripture for today. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses, Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. 
and no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's be seated. Great passage. What a way to kick it off. So whether you're a senior citizen or a millennial or someone who belongs to the generation born after 1995, Generation Z, life can be scary with all the challenges and tragedies that hit us. And whether younger or older, we're not immune to things that scare us. Bullying, finances, job, health issues, world economy, climate change, nuclear missile attack. And then there are times when our Lord actually tells us to do something that puts stress in our life. It's not easy, maybe even crazy, like move a million people from one place to another. That's Joshua's task. For some of you, it might not be a gargantuan task, uh, but there is something magnified in your life right now, huge, like a giant. A health issue, a relationship issue, family issue, uh, marriage, money maybe a new job position where the Lord's asking you to be strong and courageous. How can we still follow the Lord, be strong and courageous and not be afraid? And that's what we're going to work on today. So when the Lord asks us to do something, to follow him, it can be scary, right? If he says, I want you to forgive someone who really doesn't like you or something, whoa, you need to be strong and courageous for that. It might mean to... When the Lord tells us to do something, to sacrifice a lot of time to volunteer, maybe to be a caregiver, um, and that means a lot of courage and strength. It might mean to sacrifice that God tells us to raise the sails of our hearts, to go where the winds of the Holy Spirit blow, and that could mean sacrificing our time or talent or resources for God. Or right now, maybe the emotional or the physical pain in your life might be great. Or the adventure that God is directing us to do can be so daunting that we become fearful and as a result, not trust God or others. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So I say, in spite of our challenges, we can be bold and strong and courageous in God, truly follow Him because of three things that we can remember. Number one, God is good, generous, and wise. Two, God gives meaning to life. And number three, God is with us always, and he always has one more move. So let's start with the first one. God is good, generous, and wise. I understand that it is at time hard to follow 
God in this world. It's hard to follow him, especially when he directs or commands people to do the unexpected. And sometimes things don't make sense. You just look at the stories in the Bible. Um, God tells Noah to build an ark. Really? Um, God tells Gideon, reduce your army from 32,000 to 300, and then ready to be fight this huge army that is supposed to be as thick as locusts with innumerable camels, countless as the grains of the, uh, the, grain of the sand on the seashore. Then there's Moses, who God told to lead his people out of Egypt, go to the edge of the Red Sea, and where the Egyptians chasing you can trap you. In the New Testament, Jesus shocks us by telling us, forgive, love your enemies. Oh, no, that's like crazy. Now, all of what I just said doesn't make human sense, but that's our Lord, and his ways are higher than ours. And there are times when God asks us to be loving or generous, and we all know that that's not easy, but it should help to know that God is incredibly loving, incredibly generous. We therefore can trust him. I mean, how generous is he? If you go back to the beginning of time, he gave Adam and Eve a big, beautiful world, perfect in every way. He didn't give them a tiny patch of arid land. Yeah, it was called the Garden of Eden, but it was much bigger than what we picture the size of our gardens today. I mean, he gave them and us a planet with clean air and clean water and beautiful mountains and trees and fruits and vegetables and animals. Over-the-top beautiful, over-the-top healthy, God is not stingy, so generous. That's his nature, and this is his character. And if we follow him, maybe it should be our character too. He took the Israelites out of a desert and slavery to a land of milk and honey. He's not frugal in doling out blessings. And morally, when people blew it, like the prodigal son in the New Testament, God was not stingy with his grace and mercy. The father in the story who represents God gives his sinful son who repented, he gives him an expensive ring and sandals on his feet and a robe and kills a fatted calf to celebrate his redemption. He is generous in forgiveness, not just things. His nature is generous, way over the top. The essence of God is generosity in everything. His people, therefore, if they're really followers of Jesus, should reflect God's generosity in forgiveness, in spreading the gospel, in helping the underdog, in fighting for injustice, and in building his church. If we were to have a tattoo on our arms that shows our character, generous should be one of them. You know, recently I've been getting ready for you all, I've been studying and thinking about generosity, taking a long, deep dive into it theologically and practically, and just studying about it has changed my life. My eyes were opened when I thought of God's character of generosity. So many things in life reflect how much he loves us abundantly. When you think about his generosity, you get more attuned to what he does for us. And it could be small things like what a friend says or the harmony of events or an encouraging text message or email, a a nice note, or just realizing we live in a phenomenal, beautiful state and a, a great country in so many ways. When I'm in developing countries, the children and adults don't have choices like we do of 
or even like of what we want to eat. We have choices like what kind of food do I want to eat? Where will I eat? But how does God's generosity get to them? It's only if God's people, his church, are dedicated to be generous with those who don't have a lot. That's part of his generosity plan in our lives as well as for them if we have his character imprinted on our hearts. For those in poverty, God is always working through children, uh, through God, through churches to help like sponsor children and trying to go out and visit them and encourage them and train leaders with them. In fact, I forgot to mention that all throughout children's ministry and the youth, they're also studying about God's generosity and raise the sales along with the adults. Now, that's great about all this theory and maybe theology, but what about us personally? Um, when I go through tough times, I, I think how God has been so generous to me in big and little things. It makes it easier to follow him if I know he's good and generous and wise. But I know that fully doesn't answer it. So let's go to the second one. God gives meaning to life. And let's really look at the crucible of suffering in our everyday life. Some of you might be saying, you know, Dan, easy for you to say how you feel God has always, been, come, has always come through for you, but not for me. You might be saying life has been horrible. Actually, it feels more like poverty. Uh, things don't go well. Sometimes it feels like I'm in a prison. It's like one bad thing after another. I feel trapped and there are bars and barbed wire in my life. I feel life is like a concentration camp in Auschwitz. So let's think about a man who actually lived in Auschwitz, captured, put in there by the Nazis. When things get tough, I think about Viktor Frankl and his book, Man's Search for Meaning, which I hope high school kids still read, junior high, do they, Aaliyah? Maybe, depending on your school. It's a short book, it's easy to read, like sold millions. At the time of his death, 22 years ago, it had already sold 10 million copies. I was trying to find the new dates, couldn't Google it, find it. Translated in 24 languages. It's not so much about Frankl's suffering in the concentration camp, interestingly, but more foul, he found strength to keep on going and survive. Others gave up. Some even took their lives, but not him. And Franco believed that you can take anything away from a person. You can take away his riches or hers, uh, his or her clothes, even uh, his or her family. But there's one thing that cannot be taken away. And that would be your attitude. If you have the attitude of, I have something um, worth living for, then you can be positive and survive. Hence his title, Man's Search for Meaning. Sigmund Freud, you know that name, famous psychiatrist, would say a person lives for pleasure. I would say that's probably true in many ways. But Frankl says we should have a quest for meaning, or to use his phrase, a will to meaning. What is the meaning of your life? That's the goal. Find meaning in your life. And when you do, really, there's no compassion fatigue. There's no giving fatigue. For the Christian is to follow Christ. And somehow, when we truly dedicate our life to him, to be all in for him, we find meaning. Hope bubbles up. Scripture says, when hope is deferred, the heart grows weak. And I agree with that. You know, sometimes... 
our work takes way too much more significance than it should in terms of our self-identity. Um, and um, well, I'll talk more about that later. Frankl would say, there will be things beyond your control that people can take away um, and they can take away everything you possess except your freedom to choose how you will respond to a situation. There is no way you can control what happens to you in life, but you can always control what you will feel and do about what happens to you. The Nazis obviously took away so much from Viktor Frankl. He wrote, 1,500 captives were cooped up in a shed built to accommodate probably 200 at the most. We were cold and hungry. There was not enough room for everyone to squat on the bare ground, let alone to lie down. One five-ounce piece of bread was our only food in four days. Many were killed in gas chambers, ovens by the Nazis. Those in... Auschwitz, who were not killed that way, those who did not die from lack of food or medicine, but did in the end die, Franco wrote, they died from lack of hope. Franco quotes the words of German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who said, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. I don't know how to say it any clearer. But living for Christ is the greatest meaning one can have because it has eternal significance and relevance for a good life here on earth, which oftentimes is like hell. Discovering that Jesus is real and calls us to follow him is the greatest why. It's worth investigating who Jesus is and living for him. I mean, what's there to lose? The real meaning in life is not your occupation. People who retire can get depressed and say there's nothing to do. They feel they have no meaning because their work is their self-identity. But as a Christian, there's so much more to do other than your job. It, if a relationship with God and his ministry was always your meaning then in the job or out the job, you would, you would lead people to Christ. You would help the poor in Jesus' name. You would fight injustice in Jesus' name. There are so many needs out there that we can do for God's credit and not ours. And that's beyond any retirement or high school degree or college degree. It's all about worshiping God, talking to him, learning to actually experience his loving presence. That's why we have conferences here like Life in the Spirit. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit's often the anonymous one of the Trinity. It's not about our jobs. It's not about the accumulation of money. And we might have money or talents, but Jesus asks us through his parable in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 25, he says, at the end of the day, if you were given, his words, one bag of gold, maybe two bags, maybe five bags of gold, did you really use it for God's purpose or for yourself in the end? Were you a good and faithful servant? Did you follow him? And the sad part of the story in the parable is that the one who received one bag of gold thought his master was a, was a hard man and not a generous man, so he kept all the gold for himself. I mean, perish the thought if we think God is a strict, mean God, so I'm just going to keep all the gold for myself. Life is not about our gold or our jobs in and of itself. 
Frankel says that people without meaning in their lives, and he was a therapist, are more uh, greatly exposed to aggression, depression, and addiction. There's got to be a bigger meaning. Frankel says, don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you're going to miss it. For success, like happiness, cannot be pursued. It must ensue, mean happen afterwards. And it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's dedication to a cause greater than oneself or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. The cause of Christ is to please him by letting people know about him or helping the poor, the stranger in the land, the prisoners. Now, I say this not because I'm a pastor, like, you know, of course you're going to say this, Dan, you're a pastor. But I knew back when I was in this secular market, when I was in broadcasting and in filmmaking, I knew back then that everything had to be about, about Christ. For he is the greatest, purest meaning in life. Now, if you're having a hard time today, I ask, what if today you say your, your dreams have been smashed? Then live for others whose dreams have been dashed. That's worth living for. But I don't want to miss the point that maybe you're saying here, Dan, today I am the one who's really hurting. And my dream has been smashed. And actually, I don't feel life has meaning. I'm the one who feels poor or a stranger in a strange land. And Dan, you say God is generous, but don't feel it. I just don't feel it. I want to give up hope. So let's move on to the third point that God is with us always, and he always has one more move, so don't give up hope. God is with us always, even in Auschwitz. There are many versions of Frankl's uh, Man's Search for Meaning, but in the original version, before a postscript was added, there was a line there that Frankl wrote. Frankl was obviously Jewish. I mean, that's why he was put in a concentration camp, to possibly die in a gas chamber. But, when, but he noticed something about those devout in faith, whether Jewish or Christian, that the one true holy God gave them strength. In the original version, he wrote this. We have come to know man as he really is. And that's, of course, older language. After all, man is that, is that being who invented the gas chambers of Auschwitz. However, he is also that being who entered those gas chambers upright with the Lord's Prayer or the Shema Israel on his lips. Frankel knew that God gave meaning to life even to the very end. And we're going to close the service saying the Lord's Prayer. So let me get back to the scripture and get ready to close it out. Joshua's at the edge of the Jordan River. It's about 124 miles long, if you don't count all the meandering. And some scholars say that it's at 
least 100 feet wide where Joshua is standing. Normally, the river is only 3 to 10 feet deep, but that's pretty deep if you're trying to cross the river with people. But when they got there, it was worse. It was a flood stage overflowing the banks of the river, incredibly daunting. So how are they going to get across? And as I said, Josh, uh, God wants Joshua to move a million people over it. So think of that. It's like the size of the population of Oahu. What if they drown? I mean, Joshua is scared. But God says, be strong and courageous. I will be with you always. Follow me. And when we face our obstacles, we must know that God, the king, always has one more move. Now, years ago, I preached about this truth. And recently, church elder Fred Noah said to me, Dan, there are hundreds of people who have joined the church since you gave that sermon, and we need to hear that encouragement again. So in the movie... The Seventh Seal by Swedish director Ingmar Bergman. There's a scene where death is playing chess with a knight. And if death wins, then the knight and all his friends will die. Death says the knight is checkmated. He is doomed. All is lost. All his friends will die. He will die. But if you really study the film and freeze the frame of the checkmate the supposed checkmate, you discover that it's not true. It's not checkmate. Let's take a look at it, the freeze frame. There you have it. Those of you who know a little bit about chess, you can see that the king can eliminate the one who supposedly has checkmated him. The king has one more move. And in the wider shot, there is no chess piece that can stop him. So the metaphor is this. When we go through difficult times, down times, when we feel cornered and chaotic and trapped and wrapped, not lightly but tightly, and we feel checkmated and feel deflated with failure, Jesus, our Lord, the King of kings, always has one more move. He's a loving God. Look for him. Listen for him. Lean on him. Never give up. Whatever you are facing, don't give up. The king has one more move. This is our Lord who, after he was crucified, was killed. He had one more move. He was resurrected. Time and time again, I've heard how people would go from financial troubles to an unexpected, unexpected blessing from God if they just don't give up and keep following him. I've heard how sick people have been healed. If we can just survive and not give up, whether in Aea or Einahina or Auschwitz, the king can have one more move. And yes, much of life is survival, hanging in there, not giving up. So if you're going through a tough time, know that the king has one more move. Or as J.B. Phillips' translation of the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, we are handicapped at all sides, but we're never frustrated. We are puzzled, but never in despair. We are persecuted, but we never have to stand it alone. We may be knocked down, but we are never knocked out. So hear that. Even if you have been struck down, you have not struck out, and the king has one more move. If you have been down for the count, 
You have been not, and you have, you have not been knocked out, for you can rise again. You can be strong and courageous. Why? For the king has won more. Move. If you have been hit or hated, you can still be strong and courageous because, say the phrase with me, the king has one more move. If you have been down and driven to despair, be strong and courageous and say it with me, for the king has one more move. And even if you are here today without feeling the faith, Know that our Lord is reaching out to you right now to tell you to be strong and courageous and don't give up and don't think about taking your life. To follow him for, say it with me, the king has one more move. Don't throw the towel in on life. Don't need to cut yourself or harm yourself. Be strong and courageous Follow the king. For why? The king has one more move. For the next six weeks, I am going to be wearing this wristband every day, and I hope you pick one up, to remind myself of this Bible verse on it, that I need to be strong and courageous, and that I will raise the sails to follow Jesus even more and know more of his Holy Spirit in the sails of my soul. Just when Satan thought he had checkmated our Lord, Jesus responded with one of his greatest moves. And as the deacons and elders get ready for communion, I'm going to lead us into this important sacrament that on the night Jesus was betrayed, Satan thought he was down for the count. He was out. He had one more move. In an upper room with his best friends, the disciples, he, during a Passover meal, picked up a piece of unleavened bread similar to this. And after giving thanks, he then blessed it, and then he broke it. And then he said to his best friends, every time you eat of this bread, do so in remembrance of me. And how wonderful he picked a staple like bread. For us today, it might be rice, because we do it often. Every time you eat of this bread, do so in remembrance of me, because it will remind you that I was done for the count. I was on a cross. I was nailed. Before that, I was whipped. I was punched. I was stabbed. I had thorns pierced in my temples. But I had one more move. I came back to get you. And now before I give the final uh, blessing, I want to say that if you have a prayer need, the prayer team will meet you in front of the cross or in front of the choir loft, and they would love to pray with you for whatever concern you have. And just a reminder, if you want um, a wristband to stop by at the front desk or the hospitality table here and visit the Raise a Sail uh, booth at Fellowship Hall and sign up for a small group if you haven't. Now please stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And may you always know when times are down that the King always has one more move. In Christ's name, amen. Be strong, be courageous. Our faith puts our belief in Jesus. Even though we venture into strange, unfamiliar territory, we can rest assured that Jesus is with us every step of the way. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. 
Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.11. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. And if you need more, call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2019 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.